Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, we're, we're especially glad that our guests are here, but uh, I've got a, a special guest uh, in our home, uh, my oldest brother. Now, he insists that I say my first brother. Um, he is the Alpha. I am the Omega. Uh, and, and believe me, he thinks he's the Alpha. Uh, but uh, he's from Dallas, Texas. Uh, used to preach down there, did a lot of things. Uh, but uh, my, my only request is nobody talk to him. <laughs> I'm afraid that he'll reveal some things about me that uh, I don't want you to know. But uh, Wayne, yeah, I heard him, heard him say amen. Um, not only is, is Wayne my brother, but he's my friend. And uh, we share books. Um, in fact, I gave him a book uh, yesterday. And he had to tell his wife, Karen, somebody gave me this book, okay? Um, but uh, we, we share that uh, love of books, and uh, we bounce things off of each other. We talk often, and uh, it's, it's just a pleasure to be, be able to call him my, my brother and my friend. Bob Goff, uh, if you've heard of Bob, is uh, he's written a devotional book called Live in Grace and Walk in Love, and, and I really recommend it. I know Dean and Kathy have used it uh, in, in their personal devotionals. But he tells us to start from scratch with Jesus every day. And he, say, he tells this story, and he says he loves to get into the kitchen with his wife. He calls her Sweet Maria. And he, he said, it's not long before it gets out of hand. I'm chopping lettuce like Edward Scissor's hands and throwing cloves of garlic into the pot like LeBron James. And he says, Sweet Maria is kind to remind me that more isn't always better, and garlic in the cake batter is definitely a bad idea. <laughs> but then he makes an interesting statement. He says, the same is true with Bible study. It's important to know what Jesus had to say if we're going to live like him. But if we're buried under piles of commentaries, we miss out on the opportunity to live Jesus' message. And I read that, and I looked at my desk, and I saw all these books piled up, and, and I knew that this passage that we were going to study today was a very personal passage, and I very honestly put them up. I closed them up, because, yeah, and, and I know, there'll, there'll be some things that you'll hear that, that I read but I wanted this to be something that we just look at this passage and pull out a few things. Here are the facts. There's a, a family who lived in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the scripture says that Lazarus was sick. What was he sick with? I have no idea. But I know it was bad enough that it caused him to die. They had a place where Jesus could go and relax. And, and honestly, you know, if you're in any kind of ministry like that, and especially when you think about Jesus, how people were crowding around him all the time, he needed a place to get away. And evidently that was the place, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the sisters sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. In fact, you know what they said? They said, Lord, the one you love 
is sick. Now that shows you what kind of relationship that they had, doesn't it? That all, he, all they had to say was, the one you love. Well, didn't Jesus love everybody? Well, of course. But there were certain people, there were certain people that you could say that, and Jesus knew exactly who they were talking about. What a testament to that relationship. And we often picture Jesus of one who kind of detaches himself, that he's kind of uh, aloof in a lot of ways. That's kind of the image that a lot of us put. But this was a place where he could go and be himself. This was a place where he could just, just be there. I want you to think of someone, and it won't be that hard, that you would have been crushed if you would have heard of their death. Lazarus died. Jesus didn't arrive till four days. One of the things that you'll find if you go to commentaries is every one of them has an opinion as to why he waited four days. Uh, where was he? Was it really four days? I mean, this is the thing I was talking about at the very beginning. Oftentimes we get so caught up in the details that we forget that a friend of Jesus died. And he was hurting. And you say, what? Jesus was hurting? He was a human being. And he felt those same emotions that you and I would feel. And Thomas, he starts to go that way. And Thomas says, Lord, you know, are you sure you want to go that way? Because just a few days ago, they wanted to kill you. Now, we give Thomas a hard time. We call him Doubting Thomas. But if you read that passage of Scripture, he says, let's go also so that we may die with him. Those are the facts. Well, I want us to look at three sections of this, or maybe three passages is a better way to put it, and just look at each one of those. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those, but I want us to look at three of those. The scripture says that when Martha heard about Jesus' arrival, she went out and met him. Isn't that typical of Martha? Martha was the doer. Do you remember at one point, uh, you know, uh, Martha was working in the, in the kitchen, I guess, and, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she went to Jesus, Martha went to Jesus and said, you make my sister come in here and help me with this. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And I say that to my own Martha every once in a while, Martha, Martha. <laughs> but Martha was a doer. She was one who acted. And so she runs out to meet Jesus She's just lost her brother, and the words out of her mouth are laced with double meaning, I think. She says, Lord, if you'd just been here, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What I hear her say is this, why didn't you come when we first called you? Where were you? And it wasn't one of those kind of things where she was being vindictive or angry or mean. It just hurt. You know how it is when, when you've lost a loved one and you, you, you come and say something, to, you know, where were you? And that's what she said to Jesus. And Jesus tells her, he says, your brother will rise again. And, and she says, in the common view of, of the Jewish people of the day, 
I know he will rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, if, if you've heard me before, if you're in my Zoom class on Wednesday night, you know that I talk about the book of John, that Jesus often, it's an AMFM. That Jesus says one thing and people take it on another level. And this is exactly one of those places. Here her, her brother has physically died. And she says, if you'd been here. And he says, I am the resurrection. And he says, those who believe in me will not die. You're sitting right here. If you believe in Jesus, if you understand what he means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he says, you have to understand we're talking spiritual, not fleshly. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 when he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in any longer? And by the way, I love the way Landon read that passage. He stopped and he said, do you believe this? Those who follow Jesus can have joy and life now. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, I came so that they could have life, yes, and have it to full to overflowing. That's the promise that Jesus made. That's what he said to, to his disciples. That's what he says to us today. We can have joy overflowing if we just follow him. Mary and Martha's lives are going to change in just a few moments from this, from utter sadness to unbelievable joy. But the second passage has to do with Jesus as he meets Mary this time. She basically says the same thing that her sister Martha does. If you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And the word that's used here is a word that means almost, it's used as a, as a horse snorting. He's angry. And I sat there and thought, what is he deeply moved in spirit and angry about? Well, and, I, and I, this is in, in uh, contradiction to what I said at the very beginning. One of the commentators said he's angry because the people who are mourning with her really aren't sincere. And I'd like to know how they know that. But you know what I think why he's mad? You see, death is one of Satan's tools. And Satan won this round. Now, please understand that Satan doesn't win the whole thing. And Jesus knew that he wasn't going to do it. And, and, you know, he was angry that Satan had won this round, in my opinion. He was angry because he saw somebody who was hurting. And, and he, was, he was just plain mad. 
I have a student, a former student of mine from Alabama. Um, her husband uh, just suddenly died. Uh, his, his aorta just split and he, he just, he was a, a picture of health. He, he rode bicycles, he helped everybody. And I was talking to her and I said, Gail, how are you doing? And she says, right now I'm just mad. And I thought, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about here. When, when death happens, there, there is a phase that you'll go through where you're just angry. And that's where Jesus was. He was angry. But the verse I really want us to see is in John chapter 11 and verse 35. Jesus wept. I've talked about this before. I'm going to, I'm sorry, I have to talk about it again. Anytime you go to camp and you have a bunch of little boys in the cabin and you go around the first night and you say, I want to hear your favorite Bible verse. And there's always someone who says, Jesus wept. <laughs> you know. And they say it because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I think those two words are filled with a universe of feelings. That Jesus saw Mary and he saw Martha and he saw the sorrow and the pain that they were going through and it shows his humanity and as he looks at them, he sees them weeping and hurting and Jesus hurt with them too. And he, he weeps. In fact, it's kind of interesting. N.T. Wright in his uh, translation put Jesus burst into tears what a picture that is I use this passage in many funerals to know that Jesus weeps with us in the times of our sorrows and it's tremendously comforting that he weeps when we weep the third passage is actually two verses he says, take away the stone and Lazarus come out. And I guess my challenge to you today is this. What's holding you back when Jesus says, come out? What is it that's keeping you from serving him? What is it that, that, that keeps you sitting where you are instead of coming out when Jesus calls you? Lazarus came out with his burial clothes on. Can you imagine that? I don't think he walked out. I think he hopped out. And it's, a, and it's an amazing scene. And I see it in my mind as this man who is wrapped in these, in, in these strips of clothing. And as his face is covered up, he doesn't know where he's going. He jumps to the, to the, the opening of the tomb. He doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care who's there. He just heard the voice of Jesus saying, come out. I want us to hear the voice of Jesus when he says, come out. Now, I want you to remember these two things. First of all, God's timing is always perfect. We may not understand, but God has everything under control. God's timing is always perfect. When it seems, you know, we would have done things a whole lot different, but if you'll notice in Scripture, things always turn out the way God wants them to. 
and he'll do the same thing in our lives. And it may not be what we like and it may not be comfortable, but God's timing is always right. And even if it doesn't happen the way we want it in this life, I can promise you God's will will reign. But number two, God's perspective is always eternal. He's always looking at the spiritual. He's always looking at what lies ahead of us. And as I bring this to a close, I'm going to quote a passage that I quote all the time, and I'm, I'm going to quote it every opportunity I get. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I hope you memorize it yourself. But it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away and inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Our shepherds and their wives will be in the back here in just a moment. We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you feel that you need to come forward and, and ask us to pray, we, we will pray with you. I want you to hear Jesus' voice saying, come out, whatever is holding you back. If you want to speak to one of our shepherds and their wives, go back and talk to them. They would love to pray with you. They would love to be with you and help you in your journey. Whatever that journey is, I pray that you will come as we stand and sing this song.